morning, Freedom Center. So I have uh, three grandchildren, Hollis, Hollis, Francine, and Wells. Three names I, I really hadn't heard before. I had three grandchildren named Hollis, Francine, and Wells. I, I remember when they named our, our first uh, grandson Hollis, I said, Hollis, it's, what's that from? They're, well, it means this in the old English. And, but I, when you say, oh, you have a grandbaby, what's his name? And I always felt like I was introducing like a retired Norwegian hay farmer from the Upper Peninsula, you know? But what's funny, how he is Hollis, and she is Francine, and he is Wells. And uh, just so grateful. How many of you know that as you get older, grandkids are God's reward for not killing your kids when they were teenagers? And we are so grateful to God for just all these blessings. I also, it was funny, maybe it's a sentimental day for me, but I looked over in this area, just packed with people 20 years old and younger worshiping Jesus without fear, without shame, um, as part of their culture, part of their vibe. Friday night, we had a worship night, and same thing. This whole area is just filled with young people. The number one reason people come to this church, um, they move to the community or whatever, they look for a, a church, they get online. Uh, that's how they find us, to get online. But I say, what, what did you see online that made you want to come here? And what, what do you think they say? It's, it's the young people worshiping Jesus. I figure if, if teenagers are worshiping Jesus, there must be something real for us old folks that are over 25. And, uh, so I, I, and it's not like we're advertising them. I'm just saying, aren't you glad for a generation that knows their God? that is light and salt. So we're so grateful for last week's offering and this week's offering for the next-gen stuff, the back-to-school and all that. So God bless you. Let's get in the Word this morning. You guys ready? All right. So two weeks ago, I got to talk about Romans chapter 1. Wasn't that fun? Just a light, airy, God bless you sort of a day. Happy Father's Day. Let's talk about Santa, you know? And uh, you've come back. So evidently, we didn't do too horrible of a job, but we're going to get back to Romans We'll look at chapters 1, 2, and 3 today, because today we're going to talk about, as our catechism, you know, it extends through the summer, we're going to talk about salvation. How is a person really saved? How do you know if you're saved? If you're kind of saved, sort of saved, saved? How do, you, how do you know? How do you go to sleep at night saying, if I, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take? How, how, do, we, how do we ever relax that, that sphincter in our soul, right, that goes, I'm, I'm good, I'm loved, like, Relax. You know what I mean when I say sphincter? All right. So Romans uh, chapters 1 through 3, it's, it's, a, it's a take no prisoners treatise on sin. Um, and, and you may have noticed that two weeks ago. It's a take no prisoners. It's like nobody's going to be safe here. We're all going to die. Happy Sunday, right? And the reason he's doing this is because in 40 AD, an emperor by the name of Claudius expelled from the city of Rome all the Jews. You have to leave, don't come back. There's some uprising, there's some divisions. He said, we don't want, we want peace in Rome. So everybody, they can't make peace, you just have to go away. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that today? Be no one left except for me, probably, I guess, you know, when you think that way. But the emperor was the emperor, everybody out. Well, about a dozen years later, a new emperor named Nero comes in and says, everybody come back, a decision that many of the Jews would regret doing. And Nero welcomed them back in. Well, this is what's happened. In the last 10 to 12 years, there's been a Gentile church that's been basically not under the Jewish teachings of the law and the patriarchs and, and circumcision and what days are holy and what days are feasting, what days are fasting. And there's a Jewish church that they, they love Jesus too, that Jesus is their expected Messiah, but they have all these laws. So, you know, even though they have Jesus, they're still being circumcised. They're still observing special days. They're still making pilgrimages to the temple. They're still, so when they come back together again, there's this division. How many of you guys know that sometimes, not anymore, but back in the old days, things would divide the church. It doesn't happen anymore. 
but there used to be. So there was a campaign, Make Jerusalem Great Again, and it came together, and they built back better, and there was this, there was this problem between the Democrats and the Republicans, the Jews and the Gentiles, those who saw salvation this way and those who saw salvation another way. So Paul, you know, John three sixteen, right? God loves the world. He sent his son to die. Whoever believes in him will perish, have everlasting life. That is, that is the microest version of the gospel, I can imagine. Romans is the macroist view of the gospel. And so for three chapters... Um, he's trying to bring them together because they're saying, no, 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 you need the law. No, 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 you need grace. No, 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 you, you need to be uh, a, a moral person according to the law. No, you need to be a good person compared to those who follow Zeus. And so this, this scale, like, like I, I don't know, is, is it my good deeds that get me to heaven? No, 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 it's not. It's, it's obeying the law of, of God that gets you to heaven. Well, there's something to be said for good deeds, yes? There's something to be said for the laws of God, yes? I mean, I think the Ten Commandments probably still a pretty good idea. You know, us not murdering each other, I'm still for that right? So they, they both started to wander in two directions concerning the law, concerning good works, and this is going to bring them back together again. So Paul starts with this fact. He said, listen, I'm going to just straight up front. I'm going to give you the gospel, and I want you to know this. I am not ashamed. That's supposed to move. It moved here, but it's not moving on the screen. So I'm going to read it until you guys fix that. So tech team, what's on the screen is not what's on my screen. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Everybody say believes. Everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Well, because the Jews were given the law. It's not like God's going to save you. Oh, I have room to save 10 people today. And if they're Jewish, the Gentiles are out of luck. That's not what's being said, right? First for the Jew, because they have the law, the Messiah, all that stuff. Then for the Gentiles. It's this. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, the good news, the righteousness of God is is revealed. It's a righteousness that is by faith from first all the way to the last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, Paul starts with that statement. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of, it's, it's the power of God. It's, it's, the, it's the good news. So why in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 <laughs> does Paul start by saying, listen, there's some really bad people on this planet. They do terrible things, and all the readers go, oh, yeah. He picks the lowest hanging fruit, that which would be most commonly uh, different from everybody else. He goes, oh, yeah, they're disobedient to their parents. They're godless. They don't love each other. They've got sexual sin issues. They've got, like, man, all gross. They're bad. Chapter 2 turns over, and Paul goes, and by the way, you suck too. And this reader's kind of like, well, he goes, no, no, because if we agree that they're lawbreakers and therefore deserving of the wrath of God, how many of us know those aren't the only laws that God's ever written? Some of them have to do with the laws that you've broken as well. And what he's doing is he's saying it's not about good works. In other words, being better than the other people. I just hope that when God puts all the good people and all the bad people, I hope to be in the one basket that is, you know, the, the, the 49% of the good ones, so the 51% go to hell, the 49 go to heaven. And he's saying it's, that's not the way it works. So why does he say they're bad, you're bad, by the time he gets to Romans 3, he goes, yeah, we've all sinned. And all of us, every single person who has, is, and will ever live, falls short of the glorious truth of Christ. We, we fall short of it, right? Why would Paul start his masterpiece of good news by saying you're all a bunch of evil people? And I think this is why. I think he's responding to something that Jesus said, this beautiful Mark chapter um, Two, verse 17 says, Jesus said this, healthy people don't, don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And he's using an analogy of righteousness and unrighteousness. Those who, who know who they are in Christ and those who don't. And he's saying like healthy and sick people, there are people that know God and people that don't know God. And he says this, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. 
So Paul starts his gospel, and yes, I did that slide. There's so many grammatical errors and 14 quotation marks and some sort of weird thing. I did that one. The, the creative arts department did not do that. They screwed up the screen, but they didn't screw up the slide. Just so you know, that's where we're at this morning, right? I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. So Paul starts with, do you know that all your good works and all your obedience to the laws and all your, like, do you understand that's not enough? Do you understand there has to be something else? If if you want a swimming lesson and you're drowning, you're an idiot. If you want a lifeguard because you're drowning, let me introduce you to a savior. Does this make sense? You guys still here? So in, in Romans chapter four, Paul's gonna shift this from everybody's a sinner to let's talk about how not to be. Let, let's talk about salvation and how does that work. He goes to the father of faith that, again, both the Jews and the Gentiles would know, this dude called Abraham, right? Who had many sons, many sons had father Abraham, right? So then what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, you know, according to the flesh, in other words, his, we are the descendants of his blood. What did he discover in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, well then he had something to boast about. I mean, not before God, but he has something to boast about because he did so many good things that that became his salvation. But what does scripture say? It says, Abraham what? Say it with me. Believe. Say it again. Abraham what? So huge. Say it again. Abraham what? Believed God and it was what? Credited to him as what? Stop. Like literally, we could just repeat that over and over again for the next 20 minutes and baptize people. And we'd have had church. You have to grasp this. But no, it's my good works, the Romans say. No, no, it's by obeying the law, the Jews say. And Paul goes, it's not by either one. Not to diminish good works and not to diminish obedience to the law. But the obedience to the law, you can never be obedient enough to be innocent. Once you go through that stop sign, doesn't matter how many stop signs you stop at, you've broken the law, you're a lawbreaker. You're out of, out of right relationship with God. You need a savior, not a driving lesson. But I've done so many good works that, in, in a karma sort of way, if I do more good works than bad works, I deserve this heaven. And said, no, it doesn't matter. Heaven's not for good people. And hell's not for bad people. Heaven's for forgiven people. People who trust in a Savior who died to pay for their sins. It's not just by the, I mean, let's obey the law. Let's be good people. But please never, never, never confuse it. Obedience to the law, church attendance, tithing records, how many times you went to Sunday school per year, all good things, Yes? I said tithing. Okay, leave tithing out. Being a good person, loving your neighbor, good things, yes? But, you know, and the don't murder thing, probably a good thing too, right? But, but it isn't the things we do and don't do that make us who Jesus wants us to be. Only Jesus can make us who he wants us to be. So there's some beautiful words in here, right? Justify. Anybody know what the word justified means? Come on, say it loud if you know it. Just if I'd never sinned. So when we are justified before God, that word literally means, I love it because it plays out so well, it's just if I had never sinned. Just if I'd never sinned. So I'm not standing before God, uh, uh, the prodigal son that comes home, I'm still naked, I'm still dirty, but I've got grace. I, I've been clothed, I have sandals around my feet, a rings on my finger, I've had a good meal, I am back in the family. It's as if I never left home. This, this understanding of, you know, David knows this, and it's so funny because he's, he's so far back in this record, but you look at the, the, the greats of faith that they trusted God, even though laws almost prohibited what they were doing, he did this. So he says, God created me a clean heart. Well, when he said created me a clean heart, he used the, the Hebrew word bada, which means to create something from nothing. In the beginning, God created. God bada 
the, the heavens and the earth. There wasn't one, and then there was. So he's not saying, listen, wash me by the animal sacrificial blood in the temple. That's what he could have done. But he doesn't pray, God, wash me in the blood of animals. He says, let me start as if I were born again. I'm telling you. And that's like hundreds of years before the term born again would come into the human vocabulary. He gained access to that which has always been. When Abraham was obeying God, is it before the law or after the law? It's before the law. Before he knew what to do and how to do it and what days were holy and what days weren't, he just simply believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it says this, he was justified. The reason he was placed right before God, justified, just if he'd never sinned, was not because of his works. What's it say? Abraham did what? He Isn't that beautiful? That's why the gospel is good news. It's, it's not me trying harder next time. It's not me sacrificing animals. It's not me, you know, confessing to men, to, to priests, to rabbis, to pastors. It's, it's me standing before a holy God saying, I can't do this without you. But I trust that nothing I've ever done will be greater than what you have already done for me. And so here I am. Blah. <laughs> All that I'm not, all that I am. So it was credited. The word credited here, it just simply means that, that uh, he believed God it was credited. It was, it was like, a, like an account was credited. So if I had some, some money and Pastor Kim said, hey, I want to go golfing, but I don't have any money. He's like, great. I'll, how about if I pay for your golf match? I'll go with you and I get to drive the cart. So I'm going to say, man, if you pay, you should be able to drive the cart, right? Amen. So, so we're going to go, and, and, but he's got to pay for his. He got there. Well, if I just take up my little app and I put my $20, yeah, we go to really nice golf courses, Kim and I. So $20 goes into his account. I credited his account. Does that make sense? So what happens is this. When we give our life to Jesus, we, we trust him, we believe him. It's the righteousness of God, the justification that we need to stand before him as holy and blameless is credited, is transferred into our account. Did you get that? Credited to our account. And there's righteousness, right? So let me just read it again. Let's see if you understand. Abraham was justified by works and he had something to boast about. I mean, not before God, but he'd have something to boast about. But what does scripture say? Abraham, there's that word believed. Pistis is, is the, the name uh, in Greek. It means to trust to the place of application. No, I, I believe that there are, there are ghosts. It's like, no, I, I had dinner with Casper last night. There's a difference, right? So what does it say? Abraham believed Pistis, God, and was credited into his account as right standing. You still here? Um, let's just continue. He continues his thought. He says, now, and just to say this, let me go back one because you're going to start reading it. Um, I think the most theologically dense scripture in all of the Bible I'm about to show you. And I'll also say this, it has to be, the thoughts in these words have to be the cornerstone of your salvation. And if it's not, then you'll fall in with like the vast majority of Americans. Like, please hear me. Are you going to heaven or hell? If they believe in God, they'll say one or the other. Most of the time they say what? Heaven, because the thought of hell is just so harsh. Like, you know, we're going to Ohio State or U of M. Like U of M, you know, it was simple. Heaven or hell, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. Okay, good, you know. And why would you go to heaven? They'll say, because I'm a what? It hasn't stopped, has it? But the problem of the Gentiles and the Jews viewing who God is and what God does and how he does it, it hasn't ended. That means it's 2,000 years old. But today we still say, well, no, I, I deserve this. Why? Because, you know, I'm, I'm so much better than Adolf Hitler. Doesn't take much. Well, he's, he's really heavy on the other side. He really weighs that scale down. Makes me look really good. Yeah, but put Mother Teresa on your side. It's like, oh, okay, never mind. 
You know, which side do you belong on now? So understand this. This is the same thing that's going on. Now, here is a theologically dense sentence. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. I owe you. You mowed the grass. You cut down the tree. You took me to the hospital after I mowed the grass and tried to cut down my tree. However, to the one who, say it with me, does not, say it again, to the one who, but does what? But, what's God do? God who, who, there what, is, as, like literally I could teach you on that for a year and we'd benefit from it every Sunday. You hear what I'm saying? Their faith. Just, just stop for a second. Just look at that. To the one who does not work, please hear me. Some of you need to stop. Not all of you. Some are having more fun than others. Some of you need to stop laying in bed every night, looking back at your failures and asking God to just somehow conjure mercy towards your nasty, rotten corpse of a life. God, forgive me, I'm such a sinner. And I, I, boy, I want to say this the right way. And I'll just try, and you guys can maybe translate through my, my heart. Is that okay? So if I say this well, God bless me. If I don't, then God bless you. But if you were ever raised in an institution, in a church, where the only way to get you to live right was to tell you how wrong you'd been since the last time you walked through those doors, and the pastor got up there and talked about righteousness, and you got to work, your, and you got to serve, and those, I don't even think so many of you aren't even going to heaven because you're not... Blah, blah, blah. And he gave a frightening altar call with hell is the threat. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you got up and walked to that altar? Here's the problem. If you got up and walked to the altar, he's got to scare you twice as bad next week with the same biblical language that does not agree with biblical scripture doctrine. So if I scare the hell out of you, the heaven is not in you. You're just scared enough not to smoke, drink, or chew for another week. And if you do, you lay in bed like, oh, I'm such a bad person. Can I tell you something? Convincing myself I'm a bad person has never made me a good person. Convincing myself the scripture is true and I'm loved by a holy God who, who when I trust him, baras my heart. He creates a new one. I'm born again. I'm walking with him. What's funny is in a happy marriage, it's easy to be happy. In an unhappy marriage, it's almost impossible to be happy. In a happy covenant with Christ where he's done the heavy lifting, where I trust what he's done, where I believe what he said, where, where I'm grateful for all that he's done so that when I do sin, it's not a reminder of my sinfulness, it's a reminder of my Savior's grace. Instead of being sad, and I, I understand repentance, I understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but many of us confuse conviction with condemnation. I'm telling you, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Not to make you more moral than you were. Not to make you more righteous than you were. He will make you righteous and he will make you moral as a fruit of a relationship between your heart and his. That's where it comes from. Paul just said, did he not? Heaven's not for good people. And hell is not for bad people. Heaven is for forgiven people. People that knew they needed a savior. What's hell for? Hell is for people that said, I, I got this. No, I'm more moral than Hitler. No, I'm a good person. No, I, and we ignore Jesus. Listen, the only way to heaven is through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love good works, and I love obeying the laws. I love Sabbath. It's an excuse to take a day off and see God work at things when I'm not working at them. But obeying the Sabbath doesn't save me. It blesses me, but it doesn't save me. 
My works can never save me. Your works can never save you. My goodness can never save me because my goodness, I don't have much goodness. And your goodness can never save you. This is one of the most theologically dense. And just let me give you a couple other advantages. You guys doing okay? Let me show you this from a couple of different angles. This is Eugene Peterson who transliterated. The difference between a translation and a transliteration. A translation is what is this word and what's the proper translated word into our language. So I walk in and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to translate from, from Spanish to English, English to Spanish, and I'm your translator. The guy walks up and goes, uh, buenos dias. I go, good day. You know, buenos noches. Like, it's a good nacho. I'm doing the best I can with what I got, right? And, and that's, I'm translating. But the guy walks up and goes, buenos dias, amigo, amigos. He's, he's, he's saying, salutations, it's good to be here. Well, did he say that word for word? No, but that's the heart behind it. So a transliteration doesn't go word for word. It goes thought by thought and has the liberty to maybe use some words here and there to make sure the thought is intact, even though the words aren't directly translated from the language. Does that make sense? So I, I read translation Bibles, but I enjoy transliteration Bibles because sometimes they help me to see complex things differently. I trust people a lot smarter than I am. And Dr. Peterson certainly is one of those. He said, um, this is the way he translated the same verse back here. He's going to translate it now in the message translation. It says, if you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay. We, we don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and how long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God by God. Sheer gift. Do you see that? Let me show you another one, another transliteration, something called the passion translation. When people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it, but no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. Ben, join me again if you would. Look at this. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. What is faith? Remember the word? Bistis? trusting to the point of application. When you sat down in that chair today, you were like, oh, let me see the, okay, let me calculate, okay. Maybe somebody else will sit down first and then I'll sit down. Like you just sat down believing it would hold your weight. Does that make sense? You had pistis, you had faith. Trust to the point of application in that chair when you sat down. The same thing is true here. Who is your savior? Come on. What's, what's gonna get you to heaven? What sets you right with God? What makes it just as if you'd never sinned? Please do not misunderstand that I just gave everybody a license to live any way you want to and do anything you want to. But understand this. It, we're talking about living versus being born again. Being born again. The only way to be born again is to see what he has done for you as larger than what you have done. The only way to be born again is to recognize that Jesus uniquely, by, by surrendering his life to a cross, a sinner's cross, dying in our place, thereby paying the wages of our sin, we now get the wages of his righteousness given to us, credited to our accounts when we trust him. And we trust Jesus to save us. Let me just say this to you. Everything changes when Jesus saves you. I, I don't mean in any way to say your life isn't good or better than somebody else's or more moral than mine. I'm just, I'm simply saying this. When I surrendered the role of being my own creator, sustainer, protector, provider and savior 
My life didn't get worse because of religion. My life started because of Jesus. That, that's how it works. I don't have to be everything except yours. I have to know everything except you. I don't have to go everywhere. Just, I just have to obey. Like I, I made the greatest deal of all time. Here's the broken down remnants of my shattered life for the glory of yours. I'll take it. It's funny that those who've been forgiven much, you know what Jesus says about those who've been forgiven much? Those who've been forgiven much, anybody know what happens to them? They love much. He's talking about this woman who's had a hard life and she does this beautiful thing and washes Jesus' feet with her tears and wipes it with her hair. The, the highest thing that she has offered to the, the lowest part. It's almost like, I'm just, I'm just so humbled. I'm just so, you know. He, he said, yeah, that, that's because those who've been forgiven much love much. Can I tell you something? You've been forgiven anything you've been forgiven much. And it's funny, like when you realize Romans chapter one, two, and three, they're bad, you're bad, we're all bad. All of a sudden, this Savior isn't the salt I put on my eggs, this Tabasco on my life to spice it up or make it smooth. It's not the cream in my coffee. It's not the sugar in my tea. All of a sudden, it's, it's just Jesus who not only saves me, then takes that place of preeminence in my life we call lordship, where I'm not here anymore for happiness. I'm here for holiness because my king is holy. I'm, I'm not here to have him serve me. I'm here to serve him. I will gladly give who I am to the one who gave everything for me. On the third day, he doesn't just like teach a good game and then jump on a grenade for my sin and goes away because sin has to do with death. And because it wasn't his sins, it was mine. He dies for my sins, but sin has no hold on someone who's never sinned. So on the third day, what happens? Anybody know? Jesus does what? Give me the devil going, why'd I kill him? Oh, what an idiot. I wonder what the devil's self-talk sounds like. I bet you it's fascinating, right? God loves you. But he cannot make you and will not force you to love him back. I want to just close with this thought. And if you heard it before, just tolerate it again. It was our fifth grade trip to a place called Bablo Island. Anybody else remember Bablo Island? The three layer boat. It was, if you didn't have money to go to Cedar Point, you went to Bablo Island. There's, there's the county fair. They just put it on an island. Like Bablo Island was the county fair on a Bablo Island. But it, you, you got on this boat. There's two boats. And you got on a Detroit or Wyandotte. Or you'd stop, you know, Detroit, go down to Wyandotte, then go down the island. Well, on the way back, there was this girl that I liked. In fifth grade, all of a sudden, I got to go to a different school. She went to a different school. And I liked her, but I didn't have the courage like, this is the first girl I ever liked, by the way. I, I like my mom. That's not what we're talking about, though. First time that, that romantic something like, huh, I don't think she has as much cooties as the other girls do. Kind of affection, you know? And I thought, I'm going to ask her to dance. And on the way out to Bobble Island, they're dancing, they're doing things. But it was, it was during disco, so they were staying alive. Ha, 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 spandex pants, spandex pants, you know? And why'd they sing so high? Spandex pants, spandex pants. Barely alive, barely alive. We got there, we did our thing, you know, we threw up on the tilt of world like everybody does. Get back on the boat, we drop off everybody in Wyandotte. Well, it's like 10 minutes. And the DJ says, This will be our last dance. It's going to be a slow one. So grab your partner. And I, he said all the right things. Well, I guess remember fifth grade dances. Like all the girls are on one side of the gym, all the boys are on the other side. That was Bablo Boat. All the girls, and they're sitting there talking and giggling and pointing and laughing, and people are getting hurt in their feelings, and they're crying, and they're leaving, and the boys are like oblivious and terrified, and nobody knows what to do, but they want us to ask them. But, you know, how many of you guys know that when you're in fifth grade, there's nothing more terrifying 
than a rabid dog or a fifth grade girl. Like those two things are pretty even. And I finally got up the nerve. This is it. I'll never see her again. And I walked across the floor. And when I did, there's like the whole, like Duck Lake Elementary School started whispering. He's doing it. He's crossing the floor. He's, he's going to do it. I walked across and the girls were like, is he coming towards me? He better not be coming towards me. Oh, gross. I don't, you know? And Tammy just sat there looked at me and I walked right up to her. And, and I think this came out of a movie or something. I just put my hand out and I said, would you like to dance with me? It was a slow dance. And she said, yes. I grabbed her hand. We walked to the middle of the dance floor in front of Dutlick Elementary School. She put her arms around my neck and looked into my eyes. And it was only then that I realized I don't know how to dance. So I put my arms around her neck. And we had this kind of Greco-Roman moment where we weren't quite sure. And she just kind of did one of these. She goes, oh, you don't even know how to dance. And walked away and left me standing in the middle of the dance floor in front of the whole school. Until I just kind of put my head down and walked to my side and just sat down where nobody could see me. Why do I tell that story? Because I think God's going to get that girl someday and I want to keep telling it until he does. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I tell you that story because I think what God has done is extraordinary. When, when God takes on flesh and dwells among us and he crosses in front of all the world to see with the risk that, that his affection for you might be reciprocated by you. And he puts out his hand to all mankind and he says, will you dance? What do you say? I, I've crossed it. I took the courage. I paid the price. I did everything that needs to be done. All you need to do is say yes. And, and I, it's just shocking sometimes to me because I, I, I am dancing with my Savior. I'm, like, well, I'm just not ready. It's like, how could you not be ready? I, I, I just don't believe in that. Like, how could you not believe in this? Yeah, I'm just not there yet. How could you not be there? And, and I'm not saying like, if you believe that I just said, like you're wrong or you're bad or you're silly, I don't mean that. But I said yes a long time ago. And dancing is so much better than watching people dance. And loving is so much better than watching people love. And following Jesus is so much better than watching people follow Jesus. It's like going to a ball game and ignoring it or playing in the game. It's so much better to be on third base than to watch somebody on third base criticizing how they don't want to play third base. I'm just saying this. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in my place and in yours. And now it's as if God himself has extended his hand to mankind and said, will you, will you dance? Well, uh, what percentage of my paycheck? Stop. How often do I need to come to this? Stop. Well, I don't really know how to pray yet. So until I, Stop. He didn't ask you know how to pray. He didn't ask you to tithe. He didn't ask you to attend. He asked you to dance. It's a fully relational, romantic, beautiful offer of covenant. It's not, it's not a requirement. It's a covenant. Will you be mine? And if we say yes, trust me, Jesus knows how to dance. I don't know how to, doesn't, my plan failed. His plans won't. Close your eyes, would you all over this room right now? Father, I pray by your spirit, moving in this room, people would just simply say the one word you've been waiting from the foundations of the earth to hear. The word yes. Will you dance with me? Will you be mine? Will, will you? Will you? 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and this is your opportunity right now. If your answer is yes, then I want to do something just, I think is going to put a big smile and tears in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Angels are getting ready to write names and ready to rejoice, and the Holy Spirit's moving in this room, and maybe that last little analogy got you like, it's not by your works. Just if I'd never sinned, if I just say yes to the one who's invited me to this dance, trusting that what he's done for me is more than I could ever do for myself. Credited to me as righteousness, a gift placed in my account. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're like, Jim, I need this. I did not ask you to join this church. I did not ask you to read your Bible three hours a day. I didn't ask you to learn how to pray. I asked you what I believe he told me to ask you, and that is what you dance with your creator. Well, you dance with the Lord Jesus Christ who crossed the heavens and the earth to come to you in this moment. Will you say yes? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and I count to three. When I come to three, this, this catechism lesson will, will be just about done. The lesson is, how are we saved? What is salvation? Salvation is when I trust God to do for me what I could never do for myself. And I welcome him to forgive my sins. And I dance with him for the rest of my life, even though I don't know how to dance. I trust that he does. I trust. I believe the point of action, I trust and believe. When I come to three, if that's you, I want you to raise your hands. One, you might have been raised in this church. Two, you might, you might be someone who's been around churches your whole life or you never heard this part of the explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I don't care if you've been baptized four times. I don't care if you were, had to join a church to get married. I, like here, now, just you and Jesus. His hand extended. What is your answer? Today, your answer is yes. I've already said one. I've already said two. Are you ready? I want that hand to go up without a moment of hesitation, without an ounce of fear, with zero shame. Are you ready? Five seconds to eternity. Figure it out right now. Will you dance with me? If that's you, raise your hand right now, Jesus. Number three. Yeah, hands are going up. Hands are going up and hands are going up and hands are going up. Hands are going up. Couples, families, children. Grandma's prayers are being answered right now. Mom and dad's prayers are being answered right now. Pastors and friends, prayers are being answered right now. But you just, all over this room right now, I, if you don't know how to dance, man, I, I get it. Let me just show you a couple moves real quick. You ready? I'm, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And if you know how to pray, then you just, you just pray. But if you don't, let me just, let me just, let's just together whether you're going to pray with me today for the first time or you've prayed this a thousand times, would you just do it to create an atmosphere where it doesn't feel like there's only two people on the dance floor? Like, let's all come into the dance floor right now. Come on. And let's support those that are saying yes to Jesus this morning. Dozens of people raised their hands this morning. Come on. Say this with me, all of this room. Everybody, come on. Say, Jesus, my answer is yes. Forgive me of every sin erase my history and birth my destiny teach me to dance teach me to walk teach me to know I trust you today and forever you lead I'll follow and we'll dance forever God, I thank you for today. I thank you that 
dances are beginning all over this room. God, I thank you that no one's left standing in the middle alone and ashamed, God. Everybody, everybody that says yes today, everybody that says yes today, that grabs onto that extended hand where you danced. Everybody, God, today is the day to be born again. It's a day of independence. It's a day of freedom. It's a day of interdependence. July 2nd, many people in this room have two birthdays now. July 2nd, the day they were born again and whatever date they were physically born on. Mark Twain said the greatest two times in a person's life is the day they're born and the day they discover why. And I pray that today we would just discover the why is you. We're just here to be yours. We're here to love you. We're here to learn. We're here to follow. We're not here to lead you. We're not here to put you in our boxes. We're not here to visit you once a month on a Sunday. We're here because you're here. We are here with you now in this life. We belong to you and you belong to us and we're never, never, never going to let go. And neither are you. Would you just open your eyes now? Heads not bowed, eyes wide open. This is why. I count to three one last time. And this time you're like, you know what? I raised my hand. I said that prayer. And as of this moment, I'm dancing with Jesus. I think... That's a beautiful testimony. And I think this entire room would catch on fire with joy if you would share that good news with us. Are you ready? You raised your hand. You prayed that prayer. You mean business with God. You're not ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of you. The dance has begun. When I count to three, you raise your hand right now. You ready? One, all over this room. Come on, don't be, don't be afraid. Two, are you ready? Three, come on, raise your hand if that's you all over this room today. <laughs> Woo! All right, stand your feet. Let's baptize some people. If you, like, what's water baptism about? It's about, it's about what we just did, only an inward act, when it becomes an outward act, is consummated. On your wedding day, or if you're going to have a wedding day, you remember that? Like, there were vows, there were gifts. Today, you've talked to Jesus, he's talked to you. What happens next? It's the wedding night. The, the outward physical act consummates these inward things. So today, if you like to take the life that God gave you, and be buried with Jesus and resurrected with Jesus, that's what that water is for. You're like, I'm not, I'm not ready. I didn't bring a towel. We've got towels. I'm not ready. I'm wearing a white t-shirt. We won't look. But don't, come on, it's time to dance. It's not time to make excuses. It's time to dance. So if you have not yet been baptized in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, today is your day of salvation and your day of baptism. Are you ready? We're going to line up over here. If you'd like to be baptized, come join us. I think maybe we're going to get something on the screen. We're going to try. So come on. we got towels and shirts and everything else. Come join us. Let's baptize today. If you can't, let's just worship today, all right? Come on, do it. Come on, do it.